Hey, everyone. Talent One here. Talent Two <laughs> is back. I know you all missed him. I know people wrote and uh, reached out expressing uh, a desire to see Kevin return, hoping he was okay. He is back. Thank you so much for rejoining the pod. I was lost without you, Kevin. Yeah. And uh, hope all is well. And, and we're doing better than Texas and Oklahoma's football programs at the moment. Yeah, I'm definitely doing better than that. And I've got to give a lot of love to the uh, to the listeners. And uh, I had a pet, a 16-year-old cat that I had to put down who's obviously been with me for 16 years. Not obviously, but I've had him since he was a little kitten. So... That's tough, man. Uh, you know I'm a big animal guy, and I've had to put too many dogs and cats down in my life, but uh, I hadn't had one like this. So, yeah, I appreciate y'all letting me deal with that and uh, having to deal with the logistics of that and then also the the heartache and all that crap. But definitely feeling a lot better, remembering uh, how great his life was. I can't really say the same about the Texas TCU game. I have gone back and looked at it, but I'm, I'm not going to want to remember that down the road uh really crappy effort uh, I shouldn't say effort performance by Texas they were incredibly sloppy and Paul this is the now the sixth time since Tom Herman has been the head coach at UT that they've lost as a ranked team they've lost to an unranked team it was a little bit of a worry that when he came from Houston and we said well what, what are some of the negatives well some of the negatives are you know, they won games they probably shouldn't have been in. That's a positive. But then there were some games against Navy and other teams that they had a better team and they ended up losing. Now, there were excuses for that. I remember Orlando and Herman at the time as Houston coaches saying, you know how many linebackers we've had out against Navy? I'm not sure how many excuses he's going to have going forward at Texas if they continue to play to the competition's level, whether that's up or down. Yeah, I think you're right, and we were just remarking right before the pod started that this wasn't a particularly good TCU football team. There's no, there's no great shame in losing to that TCU Rose Bowl team that beat Wisconsin and uh, you know went 12 and one or whatever it was they did. Uh, this was not that team, and this is one of the most vulnerable TCU teams I've ever seen. Uh, and so I am saddened to hear that you're not going to cut the best plays from this game put it on YouTube, overlay it with a Sarah McLaughlin soundtrack and reminisce <laughs> on it. But, you know, that's your choice, Kevin. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we all have to make choices in life, and my choice is not to remember this game. Look, the officiating was terrible, and we can get into that at some point, but that's not the story of the game for me. This is not 2015 Oklahoma State coming into town where it really felt like a job. This just felt like officials that it was a little over their head. They were out of position for some plays which kind of tells you that that they weren't up to speed TCU was actually penalized more than Texas it did add to the sloppy nature of the game and both teams were sloppy I mean TCU had two offside penalties in a row on a kickoff you can argue whether both should have been called but it just felt like all three all three uh you know participants Texas, TCU, and the officials did not have a good day. Someone had to win it. Texas was a yard away from doing that. Unbelievable. Yeah, I. well, we'll spin the wheel. Let's talk about TCU for 15 or 20 minutes because I do think there's some things we can learn from it going forward. Then we'll talk hate week and we'll talk OU where all records are put aside and it's all about pure, intense, unbridled hatred towards 
our evil rival to the north, uh, slumming it on the other side of the Red River. But I want to talk a little bit about Texas love and specifically some love that's being prompted by hate. Okay. And I'll explain. Gabe Winslow, that lunatic, (laughs) is a lunatic, and he is running a hate week special because he loves Texas. He loves our listeners, and he wants to look out for him. Kevin, do you want to know what this this crazy man is doing? I would love to hear it. I'm guessing it's a hell of a deal. It's a hell of a deal, and even better than the normal hell of a deal he's running for a limited time only, this week only, hate week. You are going to get $1,000 off of your closing if you will call him or text him and lead off with, OU sucks. <laughs> if you do that, this lunatic is going to give you $1,000 off of closing. And I don't mean he's going to mark it up $1,000 and then take $1,000 off. No, <laughs> right. he, he's taking $1,000 off your closing. I honestly don't even know if he's going to make money this week, but that's his problem. You guys take advantage of it. Give him a call or drop him a text at 832-557-1095. That's 832-557-1095. Look, the interest rate uh, environment right now is amazing. Gabe has incredible access to wholesale rates, and basically there's no middleman involved. He's going to be able to give you the best, pure, uncut rates that are out there. I sound like he's a cocaine dealer, but it's not that. It's going to be freshly uh, cut. It, it, yeah, exactly. He didn't, he didn't step on it with a bunch of baking powder, folks. <laughs> but uh, what you are going to do is if you've got a current mortgage and you've got a rate that's 3.5% or higher, and yes, I understand 3.5% is incredibly low. If it's 3.5% or higher, give Gabe a call or give him a text, 832-557-1095. Lead that conversation with the words, OU sucks, save yourself $1,000, and let him talk to you about your financial situation. Just lay it out to him. He's a good square guy. He'll let you know if you, he, you should refi or not, if it makes sense to you. If it doesn't, you'll have a nice chat about Texas and OU uh, for two minutes, and uh, you'll hang up. If, if it does make sense for you, you're going to save tens of thousands of dollars over the lifetime of your loan. So give him a call, 832-557-1095. It's hate week. OU sucks. Lead off with it. Gabe's going to put a grant in your pocket, and he's an absolute lunatic. <laughs> he is, but he's a great lunatic, and we love him, and uh, he really knows what he's doing. Once you save that money, and we've had so many listeners that have already saved a lot of money on refinancing, you got to find a way to put it to use, right? And that's where our other Longhorn comes into play, a guy who definitely hates Oklahoma, former national champion swimmer on the 40 acres. That would be David McClellan, been a part of the family, and uh, he really knows what he's doing. He's a fiduciary financial advisor from Forum Financial. The fiduciary part of that means he is obligated to work in your best interest, and he does a lot of different things. He does specialize in financial life coaching, also retirement planning, but the biggest thing for you is finding out what that financial freedom number is, and he can help you understand that and put you in a better spot to be able to retire, retire comfortably, and have a better idea idea of when that time will come. So give him a call 312-933-8823. It's 312-933-8823 or you can email him dmcclellan at forumfin.com. I love it. We love our sponsors. They've been fantastic for us and fantastic for our listeners. You guys support them and support yourselves because right. uh, they can make your financial life a lot easier. All right, do you want to get to the tough stuff here with TCU? Um, you know, I do. So I, okay. I kind of broke it down into three areas of the game. Texas, in my opinion, played TCU. 
They played the officials and they played themselves and they lost all three games. Yeah. So do we want to talk about Texas players and do we want to talk about Texas coaches or do we want to talk about the officials? Because we're going to probably talk about all three. Let's start with the Texas coaches. How about that? Because got, I like it. Okay, we got seven new coaches. You got two new coordinators. Yes, is it even tougher for a team that is turning over a staff like that with COVID? COVID's going to be tough with no spring and a lack of a fall camp and just a jacked-up summer for every single program. That even goes for Alabama. We're seeing that with Oklahoma a little bit. But still, I expected more, and I expected this team to look better coached they were sloppy as hell in Lubbock. They were able to get through that. And then they come into a matchup with Gary Patterson, where Gary Patterson has had Texas number in the Big 12 and has, has done a pretty damn good job against Tom Herman. He gets two new coordinators. Uh, let, let's go ahead and start with Mike Yursich, because Yursich, I know if he's looking at Texas Tech film, he's worried about the right side of the offensive line, and he's correct about that. And maybe he was trying to scheme around that a little bit. All in all, I felt like the game plan was disoriented. It didn't really have a rhythm to it, even when they were moving the football. You know, it didn't. I think part of that was just the nature of the game, and, and TCU is bleeding some big plays. And I thought some of those big plays weren't just their mistakes, but great calls by Texas. Yeah. And I'll give you an example. That Brennan Eagle settle and go touchdown for 45 mm -hmm. yards, that was a quarters beater. That was an anticipated coverage. They put that in the game plan for that look and that down and distance. And to me, Mike Yursich single-handedly created that touchdown. I mean, that was, that was wide open. And all Sam had to do was throw it, and all Eagles had to do was catch it and run. So well, I'll give I you, thought that was a good example. I'll give you a couple more. Keontae Ingram, now you had the ineligible downfield because they covered up Cade Brewer. Uh, but that was schemed up well, and obviously yep. you you, you got to be able to, to – uh, not be a sloppy and figure that out and that's something that can be that is fixable I know we've heard fixable a lot too much this week in the last couple of years that one is fixable and then the one that could have been the dagger uh the the Keontae Ingram reception on the last drive oh. whenever it looks like you know we've talked about him being a home run hitter uh I, Keontae's got a score there he's got a score he got he got chased down by Van Zant. If you do watch the replay, uh, look, Keontae's not a 4-4 guy, right? He's not Jamal Charles. No. But if you do watch the replay, Van Zant was already running as Keontae yep. collected that ball. Yep. And uh, TCU is legitimately fast on the back end. They're not big, but they're fast, at least at corner and nickel. And Van Zant just run him, ran them down. Um, you know, it happens. I'll give you another couple examples of good play calls, in my opinion, uh, because Rashawn Johnson, when they ran that little swing pass, uh, swing pass, I should say, in the red zone on the goal line where they just motioned uh, Rashawn out and TCU's linebacker didn't follow him out. So we had him outnumbered on the edge and they just flipped it out to him and he ran it in for a touchdown. I think that was, that was a called play based on a prior adjustment that they had seen TCU do that before and not walk their linebacker out. So to me, that was a good thing. They stuck it in their back pocket. They ran it when they needed to and got uh, you know an easy six out of it. And even the Jake Smith P.I. call, which was a terrible P.I. call on Jake Smith, uh, that was a good pass play. They created a lot of space with what they were trying to do on that look. And Jake made a great catch. It was a 34-yard gain, and it was negated by a bullshit P.I. call. Also, a great call on that third and short, or third and intermediate, I should say, where they got Jake on that little crosser, that oh, little crosser yeah. rub route. Oh, uh. 
and it was all cleared out in front of him. All he had to do was catch it. He was going to run 50-plus. I think he was going to score. I think he's going to go for a 70-yard touchdown, and he just dropped it. Well, now, on that side of the field, there was a TCU defender like 20 yards down the field with a Texas receiver in front of him, right? So that would have been two-on-one? Yep, yep. And I think Jake has the open field ability that he would have capitalized on that. So, yeah, that was a huge play. And, and again, these are all really good play calls. So do I, do I feel like there was continuity in our game plan? No. I mean, Sam was well below 50% completions at halftime, right? He was like five of 17 or something crazy. Right. And we were only sort of, it was feast or famine, but I think some of that was a function of, he had about 140 yards in, in passing called back by the officials or by dropped passes by the receivers. Tariq Black dropped two balls, right? Uh, Josh Moore had two drops. He and Sam miscommunicated on an interception on our side of the field that led to TCU field goal. All in all, I don't have a problem with Yursich and what he did. What I have a problem with is freaking game management. Kevin, do you know that I have a little burr in my saddle about Tom Herman and how he runs the clock, specifically like the Iowa State game last year? Oh, yeah. No, I know. And if you if you look at what he's done in the in the fourth quarter with leads as the coach at oh. Texas, he turtles up, man. There's no other way to put it. He plays not to lose as opposed to playing to win. And I think that does a lot. One, I, one, I think it, it bleeds a mentality to your players. But more importantly, look, every game, 54% of the games that he's had at Texas have been within one score. And I believe he's 13 and 11 in those. So, I mean, they're sitting at 50%. It's not like they've got the type of defense where they can just shut people down, and that hasn't been the case since he's been here. They've got to play to win and to ice the game that way, and I, I, I assume you're talking about the second-to-last possession where it, they were going to punt, and it was an obvious couple runs, which is what he does on first and second down. The second down was a, was a Sam option run, and you put yourself in third, third down and, and long, and you have to be able to complete a pass. Otherwise, you're punting, and TCU's got the ball at midfield. Yeah, and who thinks they can run clock with 8.23 on the clock? That's the other thing. He did that in Ames last year with like six minutes, I think. 401. 401, okay. And by the way, you can't run clock on 401 either. You have to attack the chains. The only way you can move the clock in the college game is first downs and attacking the chains, period. It's just crazy. It drives me insane. And it's, look, you called it. He turtled again. And it's embarrassing. The prior drive, Texas ran right down the field running tempo. Scored easily. They get a great stand, three and out from the defense. They get the ball back on the Texas 8, 8.23 on the clock. And it's a, it's a give-up run into a stacked box with Keontae Ingram and then a, and a called run with Sam Ellinger. Hey, here's the crazy thing. You wanna, I looked this up because I was like, I think this is the sequence that happened at Iowa State. I looked it up. You know the difference? Hmm. Iowa State, they had a called run for Sam on the first down, and then a Keontae Ingram outside zone run in the stack box on second down. No, that they was re- the big difference. They really changed it up. Well, hey, TCU <laughs> might have been expecting the other way. And right. so they almost caught him, Kevin. They almost well, caught him. So, so hey, let, let's make sure that we, you know, differentiate, too. People are saying, well, wait a minute, Yursich is calling the plays. I, I screamed it out loud after the really the first run and then definitely the Sam second down run. Herman is is meddling here, right? And and that 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 reeked of Tom Herman, not Mike Yursich. Well, I so here's the thing. I do agree with the critique 
that every time something good happens on offense, we say that's Yursich. Yep. And every time something bad happens, we say that's Herman, right? It's lazy. But here, here's what we do know, Kevin, as observers and reasonably informed football guys. When you are in a critical part of the game, up 29-26, you've just scored to get the lead, and your defense is out there playing defense. Your offensive coaches are on the headsets talking about the next possession, correct? Yes. Including the head coach. Well, they better be. So, well, you better be. That, and that's what you should be, by the way. That's, that's not meddling. That's being a head coach. Right. And what the head coach should tell Yursich at that point is, hey, Mike, if, you know, and by the way, it's now third down, right? TCU's it's third down. TCU, I mean, Texas defense is holding up. Mike, if we stop them here, we're going to get it back with about eight and some change on the clock. Um, look, go with what's been working. Or you say, hey, Mike, I, I kind of feel like Sam's made a couple of bad decisions. Let's protect him a little bit. Whatever it is, whatever you feel in the game flow as a head coach, that's your right. What you don't do is take the only strategy that's been working against the Horn Frogs and you just lay it up. I mean, it's just insane, and it's, it's such bad coaching, and it's the kind of stuff that turns guys like you and me off so badly yeah. that when people talk about fire Tom Herman, we just kind of shrug. Yeah, and, and I may argue some specific points within that, but the greater point of him failing here right now, a lot of it is stuff like that. That, like you said, it really pisses us off, and it makes it hard to defend someone. It does, and and, and I will say on defense, I thought we cleaned up some things, uh, which was good. But I had a real bone to pick with a lack of recognition from Chris Ash and the defensive assistants on that TCU empty set. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, please do because what, what's you know, your take on that? Uh, my take on on both of them on both touchdown runs. I my guess is is that pre. I mean, first off, if pre snap, you're going to be set up with the two tackles outside or on the guards and maybe even outside of them. So you don't have, you don't have anyone up the middle, and then you've got no linebackers. The only one up the middle was actually an official. And Gary Patterson did say, you know, we made a check on that. Well, I bet you, I bet your ass you made a check on that. If it's if it's <laughs> yeah. if it's that obvious pre-snap, that is all on Chris Ash. And the second time around, when you see that, you got to be able to recognize that and call a timeout. Exactly. So the situation Kevin is is talking about is early in the game. Uh, TCU went up fourteen seven in the first half in the red zone on the five Texas yard line. They went to an empty set, which is they went to an empty backfield. They moved all their guys out to space, right? It's, and they, some people call it erroneously five wide. Technically, they, they didn't have five wide outs in the game. So it was a running back, a tight end, and three, three, three wide receivers. It was technically they, 11 they personnel in five wide look. Correct. That's exactly right. And so what they did is they spread the field. And the Texas response to that was effectively a pure pass-rushing front, which is what you kind of run against like an immobile quarterback, like Dan Marino or something, right? right? And Max Duggan is not that. He's a dual threat. And we've got the scars to prove it. And so what happened is the call, they lined up both Texas defensive tackles on the outside shoulders of the TCU guards. Both defensive ends are out in in wide sevens, which is like an outside tackle technique. And then both Texas linebackers were walked out over the TCU tackles looking at the slot receivers. Yeah. And it was 12, 15 feet across of wide open space. Duggan takes it, takes the direct snap, 
fakes a little fly sweep, which was not a read. He That was just a fake little candy, uh, eye candy thing for our players. And he ran it in for a touchdown. Now, that happens. Hey, man, shit happens. What you need to do as a defensive coordinator, as a defensive coach, as an assistant, is say, okay, they got us there. We, we got to do better. We got to line up better on their five wide. We got to do better. TCU saw that and said pretty clearly, we don't think they're going to adjust. We don't think they're going to do better. Because when the game was on the line, and Kevin was referring to it, they did the exact same thing. It was on our 26-yard line, second and five. TCU has the ball. They're going in for the lead. This is after Tom's turtle. And they saw the exact same alignment. Duggan takes the direct snap, sprints it straight up the field, easy touchdown. And there was no chance for Texas to make a play. Now, on that play, they did have Jacoby Jones on a TE stunt. In other words, the end is trying to crash inside. There is a 0% probability of him making the tackle on that play. Right. So it's just getting beat straight up by formation. And it's a bummer, Kevin, because in the, from the mid-second quarter or to the late fourth quarter, Texas defense held TCU to four field goals. So I mean, I, they were doing their job. I'm glad you brought that up too, because if a team had just been peppering you with with different plays or different concepts or looks and scoring those touchdowns, converting them, then you're almost scrambling at that point. You don't have an answer. Texas had had the answer of forcing them to kick field goals, and that was TCU obviously trying to punch it in. Yep, you're exactly right. And in the Big Twelve, look, it sounds defeatist. But if a team has got a little bit of a drive going, or they get you in bad field position, which, by the way, Texas did get caught in a couple of times, once off a turnover, once off of a, a, a penalty combined with a return, hey, man, giving up a field goal is a victory. It's fine. Yeah. It's, you just, it's good. You're not happy, but you're not sad. And You can still win the, the game in this league. That's the point. You could win the game, but you cannot turtle up with eight minutes on the clock and pretend you're a service academy. Right. It's just just crazy. (laughs) So, I I mean, we've hammered the coaches here. Um, Can I get on one more, too? Sure. Um, The play that that really finished the game. Uh, It did finish the game. The the third and seven jet sweep. It's almost like on the quarterback draw, specifically the second one, the final touchdown for TCU – they were they were pre-snap set up to try and defend stuff on the perimeter like a jet sweep. Yet, I hope that was discussed with the coaching staff before that third and seven to finish off the game because they had been, you know, we, we said this right away. We said the Texas linebackers, even after UTEP, if you're going to pick on something, if you're an offensive mind and you're looking at personnel, I'm going after their linebackers. I'm going to try and put them in tough spots via the pass and also via the run. And you do that with jet sweeps. TCU didn't have a lot that they knew they could work on offensively, but you know, they stuck with their concepts and they stuck with what they were trying to do and that and a lot of that was picking on the Texas linebackers, whether it's with that quarterback draw or whether whether it's with the jet sweep. That's exactly right. And and I think in the military, they refer to this as flipping the battlefield, which is you need to think like your enemy. Yeah. Right? You don't always want to think from your perspective. You want to think, what are their assets? What are their limitations? So how is that going to constrain their tactics? Well, you know what TCU's got on offense. 
And they're not exactly delighted by their offensive line play. I mean, no. for the first time, hat tip to the Texas defensive line. We saw some stunts. We saw some games. We saw pressure on the quarterback. Uh, they didn't, it always ended in a sack, but, it, you know, there are plenty of times that Max uh, Duggan got hit pretty hard. So that was encouraging. And so what are they going to do on third and seven when they're a little worried about going balls out, right? And that was clear from the draw play. That was clear from the jet sweep play. What sorts of things would you do if you had TCU's assets and you knew our weaknesses? Jet sweep. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of what you're looking at. It's a low-risk play that is going to attack our deficiencies. And it's just we've repeatedly shown an inability of this Herman regime to flip the battle space and think like you've got the assets of your opponent. And what would they likely do in the situation? And that's something that the very best coaches repeatedly do. Bill Belichick, obviously, is the king of doing that. And it's almost like Tom and, and Texas – have this notion of, well, I'm just going to play my hand. That's the only thing I can control. It's like, no, man, you've been, you've been watching the cards getting played at right. the table. You know what's still out there. Like, use your brain. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And I, I think a lot of that is, like you said, being able to, to maybe get outside of your own head and self-scout. And I think the, one of the things under Herman in the three-plus years, you know, going on his fourth year right now, they don't self-scout very well, and there are some yeah. obvious things that teams – I mean, I'm sure some of these teams are thinking, is this going to be the week that Texas actually figures out what people are picking on? And whether it's games and stunts from the defensive line, I'll give the offensive line credit. They picked, picked that up better in this game. You knew Gary was going to try and utilize that, and they did a better job than they did in Lubbock or than they did last year. And, and trust me, we're going to get to OU preview here in a second, and Alex Grinch is all about doing that. And so – they're going to see another dose of that this weekend. But then getting back to what you said, too, their defensive line, I thought they did a pretty good job of actually getting pressure. But all in all, Herman and his staff, they do not self-scout. No, they don't. And uh, it's, been, it's been something that's been noticeable for me with this, this regime. And I was hoping that would change a little bit with the new coaches. And – you know, maybe the loss of a spring practice, maybe the philosophical differences, maybe there's not a desire to you want to be a good soldier. You don't want to challenge your head coach on these sorts of points. And something needs to change because it's just not getting done. And I don't feel like they're having open conversations about what the opponent has as assets yeah. and what they want to do to us and, and our deficiencies. Right. So, yeah, it's a shame. Well, look, I don't want to just put this on the players. I mean, Pardon me, put this on the coaches. The players played a role in this loss as well. No doubt. There's, there's no question. And, I'll, you know, let's start with the positive on them. Everything is relative in life, man. If you got a really shitty day like I had a couple last week, you get an average day and you think, man, uh, you know, this will work. This is, this is how you live. It was, it's nice to be feeling good again. Their tackling was better, and their offensive line play, specifically on the right side, was better still tons of room for improvement yep it was indeed i i will say and not to be the the pain in the ass but T, that's the worst tcu front four i've seen uh, in some time i mean de definitely i was about to say you know since they got to the big 12 but hell even some of their defensive lines when they were going to like the rose bowl um 
in the Mountain West or whatever the hell they were in the last couple years would have been the Jerry Hughes of the world would have been better than this. Yeah, he does not have a lot to work. He's got a lot to work with in the back end, and typical Gary, he's utilizing his strengths. Yep, I think that's exactly right. And then I do think, you know, like I said, I, I thought we called a pretty good game plan on offense, generally speaking. You were correct that it felt choppy. Uh, the running game, again, didn't show up till late. When did it show up? When Texas started spreading out, yep. got lighter boxes, yeah. ran a little tempo. Suddenly you start popping runs. Rashawn Johnson pops off a 40-yarder. Keontae Ingram broke off some nice runs late. Um, you know, right, right after his long reception, the 52-yard reception, he popped off a 16-yard run where he looked very good, and TCU looked winded. And... Then we have the final play. <laughs> Break it down for us, Kevin. Uh, final play of, of what? The, the well, game? Final play on that drive. Sorry, when, when Texas is on one-yard line. Oh. Still running hurry up, by the okay, way. Yeah. So, the one time we shouldn't be running tempo, uh, we're running tempo. Oh, and here's the thing. You know, if you, even if you want to go tempo there, so you're going tempo so they can't substitute, right? They can't, the, 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 the thought of that in postgame – People were saying, I have no idea why they would do that. Well, first off, let me say I agree that they shouldn't do that. But just like you think Tom Herman needs to get into other people's minds, uh, let's get into his mind and Yursich. The thought is we're not going to allow, even though they don't have like a, a great goal line defense, we're not going to allow them to make that substitution. Okay, uh, you know, I'll even buy that. Well, you just got a guy who had the catch and the long run and he needs a blow. You can't give him the blow because Roshan is out with the shoulder. Clearly, Roshan is the guy you want carrying that. He's got better ball security. He not, he's not going to reach out. If he got it, he got it. If not, we're going to live to second down. But even with all that there, so you keep the personnel in there. You can go to the line of scrimmage. I think you've got to bleed that thing, and I think 11 on first down and goal from the one needs that football for ball security and everything. If you punch it in, you punch it in. If not, it's probably better. You nailed it. And, hey, by the way, if you don't want 11 to carry the ball, and it's, it's telegraphed, right, by our formation, by, by the fact that we're bleeding the clock and all that, and TCU's going to jump all over it because Patterson is nothing but a, a, an, an animal of tendency, right? Yeah. That's when you run a little pop pass. Absolutely. And I guarantee you, Jared Wiley, Cade Brewer, whoever you wanted to target, would be wide open on the back of the, in the back of the end zone. And, and if you, by the way, it's not there, it's second down. Right, it's you're second fine. down. No, you're exactly right. That would have been, you know, Makovic got, almost got too predictable on that where we were always throwing on from the one-inch line on first and second down. Fair enough. I mean, funny enough, actually a lot of those worked. You'd have three tight ends in the route. I was thinking the same thing. Even if you don't want to run Sam to the edge, you got if if you if you just faked, gave a fake to Keontae and he waggles or boots a little bit, you would have had a tight end standing by himself because TCU was going to sell out, and understandably so. Yeah, I agree. So look, we're both trying to dodge the the thing that happened. <laughs> yeah. Is. So so Ke- so so Keontae Ingram reaches the ball out, which is a no no and fumbles not only is it a no-no uh just in general on first down and goal but when you've got a guy in front of you like that he that's it he's got to have he's got to have more sense and football iq and you know i think about 
Keontae and Dicker, you could actually argue that both, you know, both have had some ups, both have had some downs at Texas. They're both incredibly talented guys, and they've helped Texas win games. But one is really clutch, and one in those big moments just hadn't delivered. Yeah, and, and the thing about there's, I, I'm glad you said when there's a guy in front of you because, first of all, he was far out. Secondly, there was a bunch of trash at his legs, yes. right? So he didn't have a clean sort of ability to reach out, and he had multiple guys on him, and he was too deep. You know, it's perfectly fine to reach the ball out when you've got clear green in front of you, there's the goal line, and there's a guy behind, you know, who's got your legs from behind, right. right? Yeah. Stretch it out, by all means, especially if you're close. You're going to get six, because once the ball crosses the plane in your hand, it's a touchdown. doesn't even matter what happens as it hits the ground, right? right? But for him to do it in that context is, is just so bad. And, you know, we can make excuses for him. He was tired. He wanted to make a big play. It's just fundamentally broken. And I don't know if that's a coaching point. I don't know if it's a football IQ point specific to the player. But to your point, there's a lack of clutchitude to some of our guys and some of our coaches. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's no wonder that Tom Herman is 1-11 in the fourth quarter trailing. Yeah. And by the way, Tom Herman doesn't get blown out. It's not like he's down 30. All of these are one-score games like you've, you alluded to earlier. Yeah, this is Nick Saban's record against A&M where it's still crappy. And he, you're not Nick Saban, I'm sorry, Jimbo's against Alabama where, where you're thinking, okay, well, you were down 30 going into the fourth quarter. So, Yep. And, and uh, you know, you mentioned that one stat. Here's another one. And, and riddle me this because, you know, a quarter, um, a lot of things could be going on. You bring up a good point. Those were still very close games, though, and not blowouts. Two and twelve when trailing at halftime. What gives with that? Is that adjustments? That's that's straight up halftime adjustments. Okay. That's a guy who's going to run his game plan right? right, and that is something that you've repeatedly seen, particularly that's relevant to TCU. And we're going to turn the chapter of this painful page soon. I promise, folks. Hang in there with us. But <laughs> there, that is specifically relevant to Gary Patterson, isn't it? Yes, because he has repeatedly outcoached the Texas Longhorns at halftime, and. And TCU has, has really taken control of, of several of those games after the half when adjustments occur. That certainly happened last year. Uh, this year, I thought actually Texas did fine, right? And in fact, of course, got the late lead. Uh, lead, uh, lead, lead. late. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Easier for me to say. But was there any doubt in the last minutes who was going to make the better, sounder, more fundamental calls? No, no. I, 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 do. I mean, I, I ended up, I know I was gone for the, by the way, you guys did a hell of a podcast. I was gone for last week, but I did come back for the show on Friday. And a lot like BK, I took TCU and I knew this was a coin toss game. I knew it could go either way. If I got a coin toss game, a lot of times I'll go with quarterbacks, but I figured Duggan would give us enough problem. I mean, for me at the end of the day, this turned into a Gary Tom and that actually made it a pretty easy call. Yeah, I think you're right. And and I guess if we want to put a final flag in this discussion with Texas and TCU, you know, Sam Ellinger is a good quarterback. And I understand people associate quarterbacking purely with winning and the and the W column. There's a lot more that goes into it than just your quarterback. Right. But this is one of many instances where when Texas has the lead, we turtle 
with the guy who is responsible for the lead basically put on a leash. That's Sam Ellinger. Yeah. At some point, Sam Ellinger needs to go into Tom's office, shut the door, and say, hey, man, you can't do that to me anymore. For your own good, this is for you, coach. Let me help you. For your own good, you cannot do that to me anymore. Like, let's play to win the game. Yeah. Herm Edwards. Yeah. No, I'm with you, and I think he's got enough leeway to do that. And Herman also knows this thing's slipping from him. It, the look, there's been a vacuum in the state of Texas. Neither neither big Texas team did anything to help that out or to take a big step on Saturday. But he knows the that the fans are slipping and and that he is losing support from people that would have supported him before. And he's got 11, and he probably only has him for what. Uh, where are they at now? Three games, seven more games, or maybe eight more games. We'll see how all this plays out. He, 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 I'm totally with you. And and it's almost – I wish Sam would do that, but I almost wish Herman would do that and call him in and say, look, are you cool with doing this? Because we're just going to open it up and, and let you let you rip away. Hey, let me, give, let me give a positive here. This is a guy that we talked about a little bit this summer, and both of us liked his feet – and there just wasn't a lot on tape, but from the little we had seen, we thought that uh, this guy could be really good. And uh, I've been on the Jared Wiley bandwagon, considering there's not a lot of data to back it up, but he was a hell of a high school athlete. The little we did see him play, even when he wasn't receiving, he just looked good out there. He looked comfortable. Man, two big third-down receptions. If they're going to have 11 personnel, if they're going to have a tight end out there, Wiley needs to be out there. Yeah, I agree, and I think you need to, to grow him and temper him, and you need to make him the starter. That doesn't mean that all these other tight ends are forsaken. Obviously, Malcolm Epps showed his value late in the game with a nice red zone catch, uh, just creating space with his size. I still think Lybrock has the ability to really help us this year as a, as a motion move tight end. And then, you know, Cade Brewer obviously has a lot of experience, but he's had two straight subpar games, in my estimation. Yeah, And Wiley is by no means perfect uh you know he was a little limited as a blocker frankly against tcu he had a couple of big misses that hurt us but boy i had not seen that from him as a receiver and he looked very comfortable out there and all things being equal i want to go play the physical mismatch out there at tight end and and wiley is that and that guy's a legit six foot seven and he was moving well he, and he moves well. He also said, he uses his body on that dig route. He used his size to to really, you know, to to keep the defender away. When you're six seven, two sixty, you've got some hands and some body control. You're a problem. Yeah, I mean that is that is not fun. And uh, you know, if if you've ever tried to play against a guy like that in basketball, oh god, you know, who posts you up. Uh, I, I got to, the joy of playing against Lavelle Pinckney once at Gregory, all <laughs> 6'5", 250 of him. And uh, that was not fun. And I am not a weak person, Kevin. No, you're uh, not. I, I felt like a child. So I think Jared has some upside. I think we should explore that more. And I think you're absolutely right. He's earned some more snaps in my estimation. Okay, man. Uh, OU has not been in this situation since the late 90s. you got to think of like John Blake when you think of an 0-2 Oklahoma team in conference. I've, uh, I've already rewatched the Iowa State-Oklahoma game a couple times. Um, I've watched that as much as I've rewatched Texas TCU, probably because it shits and giggles for me. But I also, <laughs> lo- I, you know, I also love watching Lincoln's offense, and 
I really think what Campbell's doing there is pretty impressive, uh, Heacock especially with that defense. We're not going to talk Iowa State, though. We can talk about maybe some of the things they did. Oklahoma, the biggest misnomer with their offense, and I think the the easy, lazy thing to do if you don't really watch them or maybe you don't really know a ton of football, is to see the highlights and to see CeeDee Lamb and Hollywood Brown and Mark Andrews and Calcaterra and yada, 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 wide ass open. Like seventh grade halfback toss, both safeties are flying up wide ass open and say, this is the air raid. This is all about what Lincoln does with quarterbacks. That's why the quarterbacks are in New York and the receivers. And all I see are highlights are all these big play action throwing back across the field and someone's wide ass open. The key that makes all that go is their run game. And their run game is just not the same. They're still running that that uh, the counter tray that they run out of different looks and, and it's the same concept. But their offensive line is not the same. Creed Humphrey's a badass, but you know, I think we forget just how NFL like their offensive line was for some time. It's not even about the running backs, because the running backs are okay. Spencer Rattler's young. He's going to make mistakes. Texas has to make sure that they continue to have OU struggle with the run game. That's got to be their main concern, or at least the first thing they got to stop. And I think they got a chance to stop it this week. I think that's very well said. In fact, we saw left tackle Eric Swenson get pulled in the game, and they replaced him with a true freshman. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he's a true freshman. Maybe he's a redshirt freshman. He's a freshman, though, right. Anton Harrison. And they were pissed (laughs) at that guy, and he was getting whipped. Uh, Tyrese Robinson fell apart against Iowa State. They started running some stunts. Is that the guard? or He's the big guard. Yeah. They've got those big, mauling guards inside next to Creed Humphrey, who's a big boy himself. Tyrese Robinson was getting run around. Yeah. He just fell apart. He cracked. So, uh, and I've mentioned before, Creed Humphrey, obviously a, a all Big 12 center and all that. The guy that gave him the most trouble last year was Bravion Roy from Baylor. Repeatedly pushed him in deep into the backfield in the pocket. Bravion Roy, can you think of a player in the Big 12 who looks and plays a little bit like Bravion Roy? Keandre Coburn. There you go, baby. Or, Keandre, or, or even his backup. Yeah, and his backup. Yeah, that is that is the one the two assets we have at Texas that are unique uh, compared to much of the rest of the Big Twelve. So I think we actually have much better matchups than we've had in a while. D line versus O line. And you're right, it's trickled into the OU running game and, and the, the clearest evidence of that is those OU running backs last year, two years, three years ago, they had these ridiculous Kennedy Brooks, eight yards a carry, Ramondre Stevenson, the power back, 6.5 yards a carry. These guys are living like the rest of the Big 12. They're fighting for two to five yards every time they run the ball. And they've got guys, McGowan's over five yards a carry, 5.3. TJ Pledger's under four yards per carry. That's Kyle Porter territory. And And Pledger's, Pledger's, Pledger's an okay back, too. I mean, it's not like he's a crappy back. I don't think it's about the backs. It's I think not. you're right. I think it's about the offensive line. I think it's about the execution. And, and I think there's something missing. And, and you're, you're seeing it show up in evidence in the running game. Uh, I also think that, uh, oh, God, who am I blanking on? Oh, I was going to tell you, OU's longest run of the season has been for 23 yards. Rattler? Uh, no. Just 
regular run by McGowan. Okay. Rattler can't run. He's got like five yards rushing on the season. He's not a he's not a dual threat. So, yeah, although I will say this, he's not a dual threat, but he's actually and he had like a 17, 20 yard run, which is why I guess that. You're right. He is not the dual threat guy, but he's actually a little shiftier than I thought in a tight space. He's not gonna he's not gonna really kill you with his legs, but he made a couple guys miss in that game and I thought, well, he's got a little more wiggle than I thought. Yeah, he's got some pocket quickness and presence. He's not a statue. He's six feet tall. He's got a low center of gravity, low base, just like Baker Mayfield, right? right. Baker Mayfield was a, a capable college runner. I'd say he was actually a little better runner than Rattler probably right. as a young guy. Well, uh, let's but, also remember that we don't tackle like the Ravens. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's exactly right. Uh, but it is nice to – have OU screw up this OU offense when they screw up on a call or it's not there for them, right? They don't get that Jalen hurts, Kyler Murray bailout of a 45 yard run from the quarterback anyway. Right. Right. That ain't happening unless Texas does something really bad on defense. So I just think that they're missing that aspect of their offense and it's noticeable. Now they're not getting shut out. They're not getting held down, right? They're scoring in the thirties, but Tell you what, I watched that Kansas State and that Iowa State game. Nothing fluky about them. I thought I thought the the team I thought the better team on that day won both of those games. I agree. I, I completely agree, and I'm glad you said that because for people that haven't watched them, I've rewatched both those games and watched them real time. The better team did win, and I know Kansas State had a hell of a comeback in the second half, but they were more physical. And they actually were a better coach team. You know, Lincoln, for the first time, I know he's gotten some shit because they get blown out in, in the semis in the playoff. But this is like the first time where he's really taken some crap from OU fans. And the other guy who is as well is Alex Grinch, who's in a weird spot because it's year number two. Big shocker. I know you would call this. Ronnie Perkins will be back for this game. Not sure how that happened. Oh, but what? No kidding. Yeah, I know. God, if I could have placed that bet in Vegas, right? Uh, but hey, what's your take on Grinch and wh- what he has with his personnel? Because he doesn't have a, a ton to work with, and he's like I said, he's been taking a lot of crap from Oklahoma fans because of the way the defense has looked. Yeah, they don't have a ton to work with. And and by the way, y'all throw out that Missouri State game and those stats that oh you got that shutout forty eight to nothing. Missouri State would lose to UTEP by a couple of touchdowns. Yeah. They're 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 really bad. So what is relevant? is that Kansas State averaged 7.8 yards per play. Iowa State averaged 7.4 yards per play. And, you know, one of the hallmarks of an effective Big 12 defense is you can't bleed big plays. You can't bleed big scoring plays, right? And, and you can't let teams throw the ball over your head or you can't not tackle on an on a inside zone play and have them go 70 yards. That's repeatedly what Kansas State and Iowa State did to score. And it was kind of feast or famine, right? They would either kind of shut them out, like three and out and a punt, or they'd give up a huge play. And I think a lot of that is personnel related. I, I still have a pretty high opinion of Grinch as a defensive coordinator. I do too. But I don't, he's, I don't think he's got the material. I don't think he's got the personnel. And the biggest difference that I think we will see versus the Red, the Red River shootout uh, last year is that the Sooner defensive line is, is very much depleted. Uh, now, if Perkins does return, he's their best defender. That, that's helpful to them. But I can tell you that, that Perry and Winfrey is not Neville Gallimore at no. nose tackle. No. And Deshaun White behind him is not Kenneth Murray at middle linebacker. Right. 
And it was those so, two guys who Grinch was able to play around with last year. That's right. And you alluded to the fact that he likes to play line games. He does a ton of stunting and slanting. And, of course, Texas was completely unprepared for that because – how could you be prepared for that, given that that's Grinch's entire MO, his entire career? Yeah. But <laughs> right. uh, they're going to try that again against us. I'll tell you this, Kevin, if the Texas offensive line holds up, there's going to be 40, 50, 70-yard touchdown plays available all over the field. Yeah. No, it, it, yeah, uh, I'm with you on that. Now, if you think about, um, you think about kind of what Texas wants to do offensively, Deuce Vaughn, who's a good-looking young back here from the Central Texas area, all of 5'5". He's the Kansas State running back. They threw to him against OU and did it really effectively on angle or option routes. Uh, Isn't that something that that Yursic should be looking at and have that in store considering the running backs you have? I think he absolutely will. And the fact is all three Texas running backs are very effective receivers. Now, they may not – Rashawn Johnson may not shake three dudes in the open field and and go for 70 as Deuce did, but he's sure as hell capable of of catching a ball and making something happen as is Keontae, as we've seen, and obviously Bijan Robinson. So yeah, that's a, that's a huge asset for Texas. And I think that's a problem for OU, particularly their linebackers. They haven't had great linebacker play from, from Benito. uh, Obviously we mentioned Deshaun white or Asamoah. They just haven't delivered the level of play that the, the Sooners have expected from those guys. I think that preseason injury to Caleb Kelly has hurt them more than they think yeah. or more than they expected. And, hey, a little props to us. We weren't joking around when we said that Lincoln Riley's sudden concern for player safety and welfare probably didn't stem from his fear of COVID, but rather the fear of his football team taking the field. And we were right. We weren't just being uh, Longhorn conspiracy theorists. No, I'm sure a lot of people thought we were, but it just made sense in the way that his, you know, his comments, it just added up to, you know what? He recognizes if we were ever going to get a bye year, if we were ever going to get a, hey, let's take a year off and catch our breath and give me another year to work with this quarterback or to get this offensive line up to snuff or to get the defense where they need to. I'm sure Alex Grinch was probably thinking the same thing. I know he's a football coach, so he wants to coach football and do all that. But man, if they 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 could use a year just to kind of re you know replenish and to go get some more talent. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And one thing I will say in, in Grinch's favor that he has done well with this team, and it's been a characteristic of his defenses both at OU and Washington State, they've been really good on third down. Yeah, Grinch is one of those guys who has a preternatural ability to kind of know your stuff based on down and distance and field position and dial in the right call. And so far, Sooner opponents, despite the fact that they've put up a bunch of big plays on them, they're 8 of 32 on third down, which is excellent. That's 25% third down defense conversion. Uh, That's very good. Here's where that dovetails with Texas specifically and some of our worst instincts. There's going to be talking heads. And there's going to be Texas fans and there's going to be Texas coaches who say, Kevin, that because OU has an explosive offense and our defense isn't necessarily reliable, Texas needs to play ball control, right? No. 
we got to control the ball no. and milk the clock and keep them off the field. That's going to play and into get their a hands. Lot is third and three and third and four. What do you say to that? I, I say no. It's going to play into their hands. And as much as, like you said earlier, you want to scout the other team and what are their weaknesses, what are our strengths, you got to think about your weaknesses. And the more I watch this Texas team and rewatch them on tape, the offensive line's not good enough to do that, man. This this is no. gonna, this is going to have to be a throw first team, and you almost surprise people with the run. This this has got to feel more BYU Norm Chow than it does uh, old school Texas. I, I said in my Inside Texas preview of this game that Texas needs to play Canadian football. <laughs> Canadian <laughs> yes. football, you have to punt on third down, right? If right. you don't get the first down, that's what Texas needs to have that mentality. This isn't about establishing the run establishing toughness early. Let's run hard inside three yards, then four yards, then it's third and three. We'll convert that. We, as but Paul, said, Paul, we Paul, it's going to wear, it's going to wear him down by the fourth quarter. Oh, in the fourth down, fourth quarter, when we're down 42 to 21, <laughs> we'll really have him worn down. That's a great idea. Here's the truth. Y'all give in to the dark side. Y'all give in to the fact that if Texas is going to win this game, they need to outscore them. Yep. Period. No question. They're going to have to. And that is as much who Oklahoma is and actually even more this year who Texas is. I think the last couple of years, if you've gone into this thing, you know, with a good head on your shoulders and kind of understanding it, you would say, well, Texas has to outscore Oklahoma. Well, why? Because of who Oklahoma is, because of who their offense is and who their defense is. No, I think it's as much about Texas because of who they are having to do this. Look, the offensive line, it's so incremental when when offensive lines get better. To me, that is the last thing. That is the stamp of a program that has really taken it to that next step. And you think, holy shit! Like they are. This program's ready to go. Half this offensive line isn't that good. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. And and ultimately, we're not, we're not necessarily predicting Texas needs to win fifty nine to fifty six. No. But if you want to put pressure on Spencer Rattler. The best thing we can do is make it a nip and tuck game or put OU down early because he's going to feel that burden. Now, there's not going to be the crowd. You're not going to have those, those crazy emotional shifts that characterize a classic Texas OU game. But it's still a big game. Texas, I mean, OU's 0-2 in Big 12 play. And Spencer Rattler, because you know, OU fans are not much more sophisticated than any other fans, they're blaming this start on him. And his interceptions, right? right? He's thrown four against, in total, I should say, against Iowa State and Kansas State. That's not why look, he lost. hasn't played perfectly, but I don't think he's the main problem for OU. No, no, he's not. He's made some really damn good throws, too. He's a young quarterback. He's going to make some mistakes, and that's where I think Chris Ash and this defense, they need to have a game plan set up to try and force him into some of that stuff. So a couple of the picks I've seen have been over the middle of the field, just late and inaccurate, very, very typical no matter how talented a young guy is. But there's no doubt he can really spin it. What should the defensive game plan be for Chris Ash and this defense? We saw them twist, play games with the defensive line. I thought they did a nice job of specifically trying to free up Osai and running some of those games, and it did. What, I mean, what should they be thinking? How should they play this? Well, the, the big fear of OU in the past, particularly facing Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts, was you really don't want to run a lot of twists. You don't want to run a lot of games. Right. Because if, if you lose contain, it's, it's a 60-yard run. And I'm not worried about that with Rattler. You know, look, he might run for a first down on third and seven. That's fine. Tip your cap and, and set up the sticks again. 
as long as he's not going for 50 plus and a score, who cares? Yeah. I w- I would I would ask Texas to run as many line games, as many stunts, move Osai around. You know, one thing about Joseph Osai, and obviously he's a good player, what makes him unique, and I think a good player, is that he's good at everything. It's, it's not that he's such an overwhelming traditional pass rusher, right, where you line him up wide in a three-point stance and he just sprints around the tackle. That's not really his game. He's, he's good at it, but he's not great at it. He, he is not Tony Brackens at his peak. He's not... No. Even Brian Arakpo, his senior year. What he is is good at everything, and he's a good athlete, and he's a hustler. So let's get him on the move. Let's get him running those little TE you know, twists. Let's get him running those stunts. Let's, let's line him up standing up inside the tackle box and have him sprint through a gap right next to Tyrese Robinson. And, and let's see if we can get in their heads a little bit with a guy like Osai. And if you couple that with, you know, Taquan Graham played well against TCU. Keandre Coburn played a hell of a game. Sweat is obviously a player. Texas has the ability to wear some people out. And I want to see a game plan from Ash that really lets the D-line go. And, look, the, the linebackers are going to get exploited some by, by um, you know, OU's H-back, their tight end Stogner. It's going to happen. They're going to get exploited some in the, in the passing game by the running backs. Whatever. Just deal with it. Don't give anything up over the top to their receivers who have not been sort of superstars, right? No. We're always accustomed to that one OU superstar who tortures us. They don't have them. C.D. Lamb, Mark Clayton, Sterling Shepard, right? Broyles. Name all these guys. Yeah. Marquise Goodwin. Or not Marquise Goodwin. Oh, ah. Ryan Broyles. Ryan Broyles. What's, uh, who's the, the super fast little guy that plays for the Ravens? Hollywood Brown. Hollywood Brown. Thank you. Marquise Brown. So, that guy's not there. Charleston Rambo isn't on their level. Uh, Theo Weiss is not on their level yet. So let's just cover him up. Don't give up anything over your head. And uh, let that D-line go. And let's see if over the course of the game they can force some sacks, some fumbles, some tip balls. And that's the kind of stuff that, that turns those Texas OU games. And ultimately, you just kind of got to let it go with this game plan. And you, you can't play conservative. Yeah, I'm with you, man. We're doing this on Tuesday. You, do you have uh, any any feel right now for this? No, I have no feel for us. Or I don't you. either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. We're supposed to be the experts and like tell everybody. Uh, I don't have any feel for Texas, much less OU. Yeah, I, I mean, I think OU is a two and a half point favorite, but but both teams have a lot to work on. And funny enough, I mean, I, I don't. Obviously, when Lincoln's calling plays, there's probably no one you'd rather not have on the other sideline. But all in all, I mean, it has not been a well-coached team. I almost feel, like I said earlier uh, last week, I mean, it boiled down to Gary and Tom, and I was like, I'll take Gary. Um, I think both head coaches still have a lot to prove. Herman more so. I get that. Here's the deal, Kevin. We need to uh, make OU 0-3 in Big 12 play. We need the heat to get turned up in Norman because Riley's never felt it yep. at that sort of level. Let him get pissed and, off at uh, him. We need, the Houston, we need the Houston Texans to offer him a 10-year, $10 million a year contract. What do you say? I am totally with you, man. I wanted your Cowboys to do it when I saw the Bob News, Bill O'Brien yesterday. That was my first thought. And you bring up something interesting because he's gotten some, some crap for getting blown out in the playoffs. But OU fans, they're not that dumb. And so they're not going to chase him off. He's going to take some heat. He's already getting some heat in Norman. And you're right. He hadn't felt this type of heat. I think he's going to realize just that their fan base is like most fan bases. 
they're batshit crazy. They're batshit crazy. It's what, what have you done for me lately? Right. And the, the danger of raising expectations of a fan base is that you've raised their expectations. Yeah, right. And if you, if, if you wildly underdeliver, the reaction is not measured. <laughs> right? no. They don't say, well, it was a crazy year, and you had these suspensions, and yeah, I know Ronnie Perkins was working his way back. There's COVID. And, uh, th- they don't care. It's, the, the whole program is built on success of the football team, and I'm talking about the college program as well. So ultimately, I would be curious to see how he handles that sort of heat. And if he says F it and wants to go compete at the highest level, that's, that's my secret dream that I'm entertaining. I think it's <laughs> unlikely, but uh, that's my dream scenario for Texas. I love it. All right, man, you got anything else? We're at an hour right now. This thing flew by. It was good to be back in the saddle. Hey, it was awesome having you back, buddy. I'm sorry for your loss. I have had to put some pets down as well. It's, it's the worst thing in the world. But what you do get to do is reflect on the great time you spent with them. Yeah. And you realize that you gave them a life that was in the top one-tenth of one percent of animals on this planet. Right. And uh, there's some solace in that. And I got to tell you, folks, it's hate week. Get your hate on. <laughs> Don't worry about Texas. We'll, we'll have plenty of time to knock and rag on Herman and everything else. Just focus some hate on OU. Help the team psychologically and psychically. And by all means, Text or call Gabe with OU sucks and save a grand. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I mean, uh, it, that's all about That's more love week for Texas fans, but obviously it starts with hate week. Hey, in all seriousness, man, you are one hell of a friend because uh, you gave me some good advice last week, and I had been through it, but not like this where it's it's really just yours and it's been yours, and you gave me great advice. You're, uh, you're not only damn good at what you do, you're also a really good person and a good friend, so well, I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate that, man. And uh, look, if any of the listeners need pet-related counseling, <laughs> I am available. My rates are very reasonable. Yeah. And uh, Kevin, Kevin, you will be getting an invoice. I'm sure I will. I'm sure I will. Well, I'll, I'll be able to turn that around, I'm sure, pretty damn quickly. Hey, man, uh, <laughs> we'll talk next week, okay? All right, and you still are holding on to your Texas 63, Oklahoma 10 prediction that you told me before the game? 63-9, 63 63-9. Yeah. Nine. I, I, well, I think the defense showed they, they can keep people out of the end zone. I'm, I'm looking for three field goals, and that's it. And they're all going to be kicked in the fourth quarter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man, we'll talk to you all, all right, next Kevin, week. Let's go. Let's get the hate week going, folks. Beat OU.